everyone. This is Brunch with Brent. Uh, I'm super happy to be joined here by Joe Ressington. Uh, Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, good. A bit tired, a bit hungover, but, you know, the usual. Well, as we record, it's, you know, the holidays are just ending, and I know I've been trying to somehow gather myself after all of that, so I imagine it's much the same on your end of the pond. Yeah, and I didn't really have that much time off because I had some pre-recorded shows to do. I, I could do them in my own time, but um, I didn't have a full break. But I don't mind, really. I tweeted about it, actually, that normally Christmas for me has been this great time where I could have a couple of weeks off totally guilt-free, whereas this time I, I just basically did what I normally do, which is more or less whatever I want. Um, you know, because I get paid to either play around with Linux or talk to people that I like about it and have fun chatting and have interesting conversations. Or I get to do a bit of the pre-production and audio stuff, which is all the things that I love doing. So why would you want to break, right? Yeah, exactly. I guess that's a nice segue. We should give some people a bit of uh, maybe some context or background for those who don't yet know you that well. Um, I guess if you had to introduce yourself, what, what would you say to someone who, you know, this is their first time running India? I'd say I'm a full-time podcaster, and the subject of those podcasts is generally IT stuff, and then narrowed down a little bit further to Linux and open source. Yeah, in terms of podcasts, I mean, uh, you're involved with quite a few. Um, I was looking at OMG Ubuntu's, uh, you know, Joey was talking about some New Year's resolutions. And in there, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a list of podcasts that he was recommending. And you were on like two of only a handful of them, uh, or at least involved in them. Uh, he mentioned Late Night Linux, which you've been co-hosting for quite a while now. Um, Linux Unplugged, you're deeply involved on the back end on that. Uh, so those were the two he mentioned. And I guess also... In terms of Jupiter Broadcasting, Linux Action News, co-hosting that with Chris for, what is that, like two years now? I think something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, choose Linux as well. You're there with Ellen Drew. User Error, which is a lot of people's favorite show. Um, I'm laughing because it's definitely mine. Yeah, it's my favorite show of all the ones that I do, definitely. Oh, really? Why is that? I think because it's not all about Linux. It's something different. Mm -hmm. I do enjoy the Linux shows, but just having a chance to talk about random stuff like family arguments and how to deal with them is just a bit of fun and something different. I think the thing I enjoy about it is that it's um, sort of Linux related in that, and of course, you guys are going to talk about Linux um, since you're all deeply involved in it. Uh, and yet it's a bunch of topics that, you know, all of us have to deal with in a day-to-day, day-to-day uh, -day fashion. And, yeah, can relate, even though it's not technology-specific necessarily, some of the questions you guys are answering and topics you're discussing, and yet it just comes across as deeply hilarious. So <laughs> I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, and what's also good is that some of the questions come from the audience, and so they're just completely out of left field, and it's stuff that we've never thought about before. But I also have the opportunity, well, all three of us do, to throw in our own questions. So if there's something that we really want to talk about, we have that opportunity so it's a pretty good balance, I think. And it's really fun working with Dan and Popey as well. They're both pretty funny guys. I often put a little bit of um, kind of off-air banter at the beginning. Um, and <laughs> the, the, the last one that we did, it was just completely out of context um, and hilarious to me, but 
no one else knew what it was about. It was like something to do with coins on a dance floor and nobody wanted them back. So, yeah, I know I, I won't spoil it on here, but if anyone really, okay. really wants to know, they can ask me on Telegram or something. Yeah, that's sometimes some of the best parts are the stuff that happened, you know, just before or just after a show, right? That, uh, um, you know, you throw the three of you into a room and some magic's going to happen. Each of you have a pretty great personality. So um, it's been fun to hear the recorded stuff, that's for sure. Yeah, well, the key to it is that as soon as we start talking, we make sure that if there's anything that we don't want recorded that we need to discuss, we get that out of the way and then we just hit record. And then just and see what happens. Yeah, just we have the the set questions and you know the the intro and everything. But otherwise, we just record a bunch before and a bunch afterwards. And we record for anything up to like an hour and fifteen minutes, and then it gets cut down to um, about forty-ish minutes. And it, I just look for something. I just look in the waveforms for the laughter. And I, <laughs> and I go, okay, right, what was that? Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, let's put that at the beginning. Those are the anchor points, right? Yeah. Um, it actually, now that you're you're talking a little bit about the process there, it reminds me a little bit of, of how I approach uh, this show, actually, Brunch with Brent. Like you were mentioning when we were talking, just getting connected, you were like, it's so strange not to have any show notes. Um because you just, you know, part of, I think, the magic that sometimes happens here is you just hit record and see where, you know, my brain connecting with your brain takes us uh, sometimes into unknown territory, right? Yeah, it is very strange to not have a show doc, I must say, but it's refreshing. Refreshing, okay. I, I, I'm glad you didn't say uncomfortable because uh, <laughs> that's not what we're after. <laughs> um but uh, I guess I, I also need to mention uh, late, late Night Linux. Uh, that's something you've been co-hosting for a while. Yeah, that's something that um, evolved out of Linux Luddites. And it's funny that a lot of people assume that it's part of Jupyter Broadcasting, but it's just not at all. It's completely independent. It's, um, it's kind of how I attracted Chris's attention, I guess you might say, because we started Linux Luddites about five or six years ago. And that ran for a couple of years. I don't know, my, my brain's a bit foggy on history, but we did that for a few years. And then that stopped. And then immediately Late Night Linux came out of that. And then that has had two incarnations. We had a kind of personnel change after about a year or so, I think. And then the last couple of years, we've uh, had the new crew, or I think just over a year. I don't know. Like I said, it all gets a bit foggy. Right. Uh, late night Linux reminds me of user error in many ways, except that it's Linux related because it's just like the four of you sitting in a room. It's almost like you're at the pub just kind of chatting about the topics. And yet there's this, at least I find there's this deep insight in those conversations. So I've, I've really appreciated it. Uh, it's another good mix of personalities, I would say. Oh yeah. And experience as well. The three guys that I do that with all know loads about Linux from kind of different angles. Will was the head of the Ubuntu desktop for a few years. Mm -hmm. And uh, you don't get to that position without being very knowledgeable. And he gained a lot of experience with there. Phelim, who is lesser known, you might say, but he has been a sysadmin for 20 odd years. And so he really knows his stuff there. And then Graham has been in Linux publishing for because he, he was the editor of Linux Format and then Linux Voice, and they had their podcast going for years. So he's got loads of experience as well, and I think that it really does just gel the the four of us. Yeah, well, you're all coming at like from different angles of Linux, all into you know, it's all intersecting in a really nice way. Um, how 
did the four of you ever get connected? Like it, it feels to me like certainly you've got a lot of pretty deep connections in the Linux community, but um, how about the four of you specifically? Well, I knew Graham from just events and things really. And the fact that he was doing, uh, it's had so many different names. I think it was called Tux Radar at first and then, uh, then it was Linux Lifestyle for a couple of weeks, and then it was Linux Voice, and then Bug <laughs> Report before it kind of fizzled out. Um, and I just knew him from the scene, I suppose. Um, and it just seemed like an obvious person to ask because he had been the, the person doing the um, the audio and stuff for them, and he he knew really knew quite a lot about podcasting, and he was the driving force behind that podcast. And so he seemed obvious. And Will... I had heard interviewed on the Ubuntu podcast and he seemed like just a, a good personality. And so I just got in touch with him. I can't remember. It must have been through Wimpy and Popey and got in touch with him and asked him, did he want to do it? And he said yes. And so the rest is history, I suppose. And Phelim, uh I'd met at Og Camp, I think. And he, uh, what stuck out to me there was that he runs Android with no Google apps. And so we got him on Linux Luddites to talk about that. And I thought he did really, really well and came across as a, this funny guy that he is and really knowledgeable. And so when it came to um, changing the personnel the first time, he just seemed like an obvious choice. Yeah, well, there's some magic in that combination. So obviously it was pretty serendipitous to to bring it all together. So um, kudos to you guys. Um you mentioned OGCAMP. I listened recently to the panel uh, that is in the Jupiter Extras of the recent, most recent OGCAMP, um, yeah. where you sort of moderated a discussion that went in many directions that were super fascinating. So I would definitely recommend uh, some people check that out. But uh, do you have a closer connection with OGCAMP? It feels like, I don't know, maybe it's close to your heart or something. Well, yeah, I've been going since I think 2011. So nearly, I think, yeah, I went to the second or third one. Again, history is not my strong point. But, yeah, me neither, actually. <laughs> yeah, but um, I've been going to it for many years, and I've only missed one or two for um, just clashes with other stuff I had to do. And I, I'm on the organizer's mailing list, but I never really do anything. I'm not an <laughs> organizer. I've just kind of... I kind of took over the panel, um, I think three or four years ago. And because no one really wants to take on the organization of that, they just said, yeah, okay. And let me do it the first time. It was, it wasn't great the first time I did it, to be honest, because it turns out that moderating a panel is not like hosting a podcast because right. when you're hosting a podcast, you're given a lot of your own opinions and it's a conversation, whereas a panel is not supposed to be that. If you're moderating it, you're supposed to allow everyone their chance to speak but not have too much of your own input. And so I, I did that completely wrong. Got some feedback about that. What a tricky balance, right? It is. It's very difficult to do. It's, it's far more difficult than it looks and I'm still hmm. not that good at it. Um, and that's why I want to do it because I love doing live stuff. I always have. My background is as a, as a musician, uh, which we may get into a bit later. Um, sure. And so I, I really love doing live shows. It was really daunting the first time because even though I've done a bit of stand up, and I say a bit, like three or four times, um, and I've been on stage um, in various guises in bands, drumming and playing guitar and singing and stuff. But 
the first time we did the old camp panel, it was so daunting because it was during the day, everyone was sober, lights were bright, <laughs> and it was a completely different experience <laughs> for me. And so I was really nervous, but it kind of went all right. Um, but I wanted to just get better at it because it was just, just this new challenge for me. And um, so I, I think I've been slowly but surely every year getting a little bit better at it. And I think this one went pretty well. The reason I asked was that it felt like uh, certainly you had done it for more than once and and you just said for a few years there. Um, but at the same time, the thing I appreciated was that you were aware of your involvement. And at one point you mentioned, OK, I'm not supposed to do this, but here's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just couldn't resist at one point. Yeah, yeah. But at least you're aware of it. So that's good. Um, but yeah, that's it's so interesting to me when, uh, you know, you're you're taking a skill that is curious to you, but you're not really that maybe that great at and you just keep persevering with it. I think that is really valuable. And it sounds like you've gotten a lot of it out of it. Um, do you think it's helped you in the podcast realm, even though it's a little bit different? I think so. Yeah, it's it's helped me ask more questions, I think. When I'm hosting late night Linux, I try not to give too much of my own opinion mm. and try and just throw it to the guys and ask them what they think about stuff. And that has, I think, come from, um, well, it's been influenced by doing these panels, definitely. One thing I've noticed is sometimes you get the best information out of people by just not saying a single thing, right? If you just let them go on and go on and go on, they'll eventually get somewhere interesting that they've never been before. Yeah, especially if you're editing it yourself and you know you can edit out any of the boring stuff. Because <laughs> that's what I am, you know, primarily an editor. And somehow I've managed to trick everyone into thinking that I'm reasonably good at podcasting just by the fact that I know that I can edit stuff and I can edit out whenever I say anything stupid and whenever I have huge pauses to think about stuff or, uh, or trip over my words or whatever, <laughs> I know I can edit it. And um, a good edit, you should never hear. You should never notice. So I will probably end up editing this. And you should hopefully not notice any of the edits that have taken place in it. I don't think there'll be that many because this is kind of more of a free-flowing conversation. But something like Linux Action News where... We kind of stop to look stuff up sometimes and we make sure that we try and say things in a proper way. Um, that requires quite a lot of editing, but hopefully no one notices. Yeah, it's similar to your moderating that Obcant panel is that if you're if you're doing that task really well, no one will even notice that it's happening, right? Um, there are a few professions like that, Uh and I think they're important still to be mindful of and to congratulate because it's like that it's not noticeable is a complete success. Yeah, well, it goes back to being a drummer, which I was for many years. Hmm. If people notice the drummer, then you've done something wrong as far as I'm concerned. And this is, you know, you might notice them in flashes of, you know, a little bit here and there. But generally speaking, the drummer is not there to attract attention. The drummer is there to lock in with the bass player and be the back line and the rhythm section and allow the singer and guitarist to shine or who whoever's up front that is so fascinating i never really so i i tend to lean towards drumming when i enjoy songs uh it's it's a goal of mine to get into it because i'm always tapping on stuff so maybe i'll reach out to you for some tips there but um but it's interesting to me that intersection between music uh and some of the podcasting and editing that you're doing uh the chat i did with Catherine, she's she's deeply into music as well and she had some really neat intersections between coding and music 
some of the patterns and pattern recognitions and stuff like that. Uh, but I actually had no idea that you were, uh, well, you're a multi-instrumentalist, I would say. Uh, but the drumming was, was a new thing to me. So, um, super curious, uh, to me to hear that. Yeah. But one thing about it that I should have mentioned is that I'm, I'm talking about kind of standard rock and pop type music. If you're talking about metal or jazz, then it, it kind of doesn't necessarily count that if you notice the drummer, like Mastodon, for example, that's all about um, Brand doing his ridiculous drum fills all the time or whatever. Um, but I'm, I'm talking more the kind of music that I used to do. So I need to caveat that because people might be uh, disagreeing with me there. Well, I think there's an exception to any any of those style of rules, right? Um, can you give us a, a tiny bit of a bigger taste of some of the music you might have been doing previously? Well, um, I would just say um, it's this is like that follow-up tweet to a viral one. Check out my SoundCloud because there's that represents a fair kind of spread of the music that I had done um, with some electronic stuff, kind of hip-hop-y, um, more dance-type music, and then some kind of rocky um, towards the harder end of rock kind of, but... Um, I always kind of ended up being pulled into melodic, poppy stuff. I don't, I don't know why, really. Mm. Even though I listen to a lot more, um, well, a lot less poppy stuff, I just tend to prefer a nice melody and harmony, if possible. Interesting that the stuff you listen to is different than the stuff you you lean towards creating. Well, not not completely, but I'd listen to. I've never understood how anyone can say what kind of music they like and say I like metal or I like country or I oh. like reggae or whatever that doesn't make sense to me I like good music and it doesn't matter who is doing that whether that is Mastodon or Taylor Swift if it's good music then I'm listening to it you are a big Taylor Swift fan I've learned I really am I mean I don't have her albums <laughs> or anything like that but um, I really admire her I think is the bottom line because uh. she has just kind of just done whatever she wants really and made herself this huge success by just doing what she wants and and not really well maybe she is taking influence from managers or whatever but she she just seems to be in control of everything and I, I really admire that I don't know her very well but I um because of you actually I decided to check out her NPR Tiny Desk concert and uh it just felt she just felt really genuine yeah and full of heart as well. And those two combined is pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, and some of the songs she writes, I would say it's a bit hit and miss. I'm not going to say everything she writes is brilliant, but she does have a knack for sometimes writing really catchy tunes that might be only two or three chords. And um, that You Need to Calm Down song is literally two chords, <laughs> the whole song. And yet it was a massive success for her. Sometimes simplicity is the best thing, right? Exactly, yeah. But talent as well. Uh, sometimes it takes talent to make something look simple. Uh, I know that's certainly true in photography, uh, some of the stuff that I do. But even, you know, I'm getting more of a, an insight into what it takes to, to make a podcast. And uh, there's a lot of brilliance that goes into the back end of stuff. And it looks simple from the outside, but that's not always true. I'm curious about your like, does music have an influence? Well, let me back up a little bit. Um, I'm I'm just broadly assuming that you were editing your own music creations. Is that a safe assumption? Yeah, well, that's kind of how I got into computers generally, really. I'd always played, ever since I was a little kid, I'd been musical. Um, not like Catherine, though. It's funny that she 
is properly musical, reading music and everything. I've always been mm-hmm. the kind of person who plays by ear. And although I can roughly read music, I never do. So I, I don't have that mathematical approach to it. I'm really playing by feel. But just wanting to play and record music is what got me into computers because I had originally been playing with a four track, um, which I've actually still got, I think, which uses a, a tape, just an audio cassette. And we, uh, you could record one thing and then dub another one over it and then mix it a little bit. Um, but then when I wanted to start making something that had a bit more of an electronic feel, that's when I started to get into computers. And I, I made friends with someone who was making, well, he was making dubstep before dubstep was even a thing, really. Um, cool. Really, really early on. And um, he kind of taught me how to do the basics. And because I'd been so busy playing music in bands and everything, I hadn't really learned much about computers. And then I got my first one when I was 19. And because I was too poor to get a Mac, it was Windows. And because it was Windows, it broke all the time and I was forced to learn how to fix it. And I have that kind of inquiring mind of wanting to know how things work. And so I got used to reinstalling Windows and learned about all the driver's situation and partitioning. And this was um, back when it was IDE hard drives and you had to get the jumpers right for Master and Slave and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, And that in turn led me into Linux because I wanted to get the most performance that I possibly could out of these machines. Well, my one desktop computer that was, it was old and rubbish even by the standards of the time. And that led me into wanting to to get more performance out of it, which led me to discovering Nlight, which is a thing that you can configure Windows ISOs with, and uh, you can use that to strip out all the security stuff, which makes it run much more quickly. That's awesome. But it's obviously very insecure. (laughs) And so I then wanted to find a way to have a secure operating system that was also lightweight, and in comes Linux, and the rest is history. Did someone suggest it to you, or did you come across it on the web, or how how did it first come in, in front of you? Well, my brother had introduced me to it and he'd given me some Mandrake CDs or Mandriva or something and I just never bothered installing them. And then when I wanted to get into Linux again, I I think I must have researched it a little bit and Ubuntu was fairly new-ish back then. This was kind of 2007, I think. And um, I just heard that Ubuntu was where it's at and... I was so impressed. The thing that grabbed me instantly was that I downloaded this file, burnt it onto a CD, rebooted my computer, booted from that CD, and I had an operating system that was there and running. And then I could just reboot my computer and go back to Windows. That was just such a revelation to me because the process of installing Windows continues to this day to be quite lengthy. And this it was just this mind-blowing revelation and I was just hooked straight away, I think. There's just something about it that grabbed you, right? Yeah. yeah. And it sounds like it's still grabbing you. Yeah. And at the time, I had this P4, 3 gigahertz or whatever processor with 512 megabytes of RAM. And GNOME 2, it ran well, but it, I just thought, hmm, I wonder if there's something a little bit faster than this. <laughs> and uh, I know where this is going. Yeah. And then I discovered XFCE and then tried a bunch of other stuff as well and open box and everything and although there are faster and lighter desktops than xfce 
for me, it was then, and here we are 10 years later, it hasn't really changed much. It is the perfect balance for me between features and weight. And I've tried everything that you, you name a desktop, I have tried it, but I always come back to XFCE and that's what I'm staring at right now. I think that's very similar to my history, actually. I, I would say I discovered Linux a little later than you, but I, I went through a similar trajectory of just trying a whole bunch of desktops because I didn't really know. You know, I kind of knew what the standards were at the time, and it was, you know, GNOME 2 or it might have been 3 at the time. Um, and I also was using some older hardware, and I landed on XFC, and it was the first sort of desktop that I stayed with for multiple years. And it was amazing even back then. Uh, you know, it wasn't perfect and nothing is. Uh, so I am right there with you. I know it's kind of a funny joke now that everybody says that you're, you know, so in love with XFC, but there, there are some pretty good reasons, some, some deep reasons for that kind of stuff. And uh, so I'm right there behind you. Yeah, I do like Plasma as well. I think that's a great desktop. That's what you use. I was listening to you earlier today talking to Rocco on uh, Linux Spotlight. Um, I'm only halfway through it though because it's two hours long. Right. But, <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. But you talking about Plasma on there, um, it, 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 that is a great desktop. There's no doubt in my mind. And LXQ is great. Mate is great. And I always say the one thing I love more than XFCE is choice. Yeah, and, nice. Uh, if you like GNOME, I personally cannot stand GNOME. It has improved significantly, but I just can't get on with it. But I know that a bunch of people love it, and that's great. You know, crack on. Excellent. Um, I'm happy for you, and, you know, you'd be happy for me running XFCE, and we'll all be happy together. Yeah, that's that's definitely the best part is everybody has a different preference and we've got so many desktops for everyone. So um, that's like the land of choice. We've we've got it, right? So uh, we're really fortunate in that, for sure. Can we just go back to music for a little bit? Um, so it might be true that you had, uh, that the theme song for Brunch with Brent uh, came from your fingers and from your mind and your heart. <laughs> Uh, can you give us a little, you know, I feel honored that it's at the start and the end of these crazy conversations that I have. Um, but you mentioned that there might be a tiny bit of a story there. Yeah. Well, it came from my desire to eat Thai food. The, <laughs> really? uh, yeah. Because, so it's, it's a riff, it's a very basic thing. It's just a couple of jazzy ish chords and it's something that I'd been playing around with about 20 years ago. Um, with um, a, a band that I was in. And um, then I think this must have been three or four years ago, maybe a bit longer. Um, my friend who does post-production sound for TV, um, adverts, movies, that sort of thing, um, he texted me or called me on a Sunday and said, I need some music for a short film that I'm doing tomorrow. It only has to be short, and it's for hold music for someone hold you know holding on the phone, right. and you know I need something sort of jazzy and cheesy. And I was like, oh man, I've got to do Linux Action Newsletter, and I was preparing for that, and I really didn't have time. And he said, "Well, I'll buy you a Thai cottage, which was a really nice restaurant in um, on Darbley Street in uh, London. Sadly, no longer there." Um, that, that's a funny story, actually. I don't want to get off on too many tangents, but um, one day <laughs> it was sold to someone and it kind of continued. 
And then apparently one day they just disappeared with no notice or anything. They just disappeared and there was lots of speculation about what had happened and it was just there one day and then just literally gone the next. So that was a real shame because he used to love going there. But anyway, so I only had about an hour to do this and so I just quickly programmed a bossa nova beat and then the bass line, which is really simple, um, and then put an electric piano type thing down and then I uh, played the riff and I think I did it in, I think I did that guitar riff in one take, but I'm not sure, I may have done two. But um, <laughs> yeah, just smashed it out, made it a perfect loop so that um, he could use it for as long as he wanted, sent it off to him and he said, yeah, that's perfect, that's exactly what I wanted. And then a week or so later, we went out for my Thai meal and he even bought me some cider, I think, with it as well, which is, it was extra delicious. <laughs> well, I have a deep love for Thai food as well. It might be one of my number one go-tos. I'm surprised with you being vegetarian because there's, um, do you eat fish? You know, I try to be a preg, because I have a few allergies, as you know, uh, and I try to be as pragmatic as possible, uh, especially around the vegan stuff, because uh, I would say the vegan uh, option is more of a preference. So I try to not to be sort of very caught up on it. Um, but a lot of Thai restaurants I've been to will give you the option, actually. They'll take some of the fish sauce out and stuff like that. Oh, so, right. um, Interesting. You, sometimes you just have to ask. Yeah. So yeah, Thai food uh, is definitely my go-to. And I'm always, I I can, you know, the airports that have Thai food in them uh, tend to be my favorite ones for layovers. <laughs> That's for sure. So I can tell you exactly which ones have it and where to, where to go to find it. Oh, I would not eat Thai food from, a, from an airport. I, I, my go-to is pizza. Generally when I'm traveling, pizza, because it's very hard to get food poisoning from pizza because it goes <laughs> in a really hot oven and there's, well, I mean, obviously it is possible to get it. Um, but I think if you're going into the realms of Thai food and stuff, that's where mm-hmm, you, you could easily right. get food. Po- and that is the last thing you want when you're traveling. You know, that's really logical. I would say for sure the hot oven temperatures, that makes a lot of sense. You, you and I, <laughs> you and I recently, um, at the JB Sprint actually in the late summer, um, went for a few walks to get some pizza, yeah. um, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, that is just my go-to because pizza generally, it, it's going to vary in quality, but even rubbish pizza is better than no pizza. And it's, you know, you're going to get it wherever you go. And so just when I'm traveling, that's my go-to. I don't really eat that much of it while I'm at home, but I just know that it's something I can rely on no matter where I am in the world pretty much. Yeah, you'll find it anywhere, right? Yeah, and the thing is, I can eat it every day as well because it's so delicious. Even terrible pizza, I, I find delicious. The, the worst pizza I had was at SeaTac. Um, and I think that <laughs> it speaks volumes that I was there twice last year and I had a pizza twice last year at SeaTac. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, because some of my allergies, I've got a gluten and a dairy allergy. Um, pizza would otherwise be my go-to because I absolutely love it as well. Uh, and there are a few really amazing gluten-free pizzas, but they are tough to find. Yeah. They're super yeah, tough to find. You have to, to track find. that down rather than just at an airport. Yeah, those those I have a, a text file for, the ones I record where to find <laughs> gluten-free pizza worthwhile because most of it isn't. <laughs> yeah. There's a moment actually when you and I first met that I will always forever stick in my mind. And I don't know if it will for you because, you know, when two people experience something, it's a little bit different. But you and I first met, uh, we had the chance to meet uh, at Linux Fest, the last Linux Fest that happened this past uh, year. 
And I guess you had probably at that point been hearing my voice quite a bit because you were editing Linux Unplugged for quite a while. Um, but I specifically remember when we landed at the JB studio uh, and you and I were in the same room, we kind of looked at each other and we were meeting a bunch of people and said, hey, I'm Joe. And I said, hi, I'm Brent. And I remember specifically what you said. You said, oh, you're not quite what I expected. <laughs> and I said, well, you're not quite what I expected yeah, either. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. You kind of have a mental image of people whose voice you hear all the time, and then you meet them. And a lot of people say that to me. They don't think that I'm going to look like this man mountain for some reason. <laughs> I guess we have to do that as humans, you know, draw images in our minds of the things that we're imagining, uh, you know, because we're only using one sense, our ears, to try to get this a sense of this person. Um, but that moment, it's just hilarious to me, and it kind of set the scene for for the rest of the time and uh, has taken us to now. And I feel like you and I joke about quite a lot of really ridiculous things, and that kind of set the stage. So I like that quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. We probably shouldn't mention too much about our last physical encounter when you drove me to the airport. <laughs> when I'd basically been up all night drinking and stressed because I thought I'd lost my passport. And then it turned mm. out to be just in a pair of trousers that I'd set aside. <laughs> that was uh, tearing that hotel room apart was not fun, I'll tell you. It made, at least for me, a really good story. <laughs> <laughs> and gave us lots to talk about on the way to the airport. <laughs> uh, I think I started to sober up during that um, car ride down there. That was during the JB Sprint, and and was it true that you hadn't met? Oh, I guess it was at Linux Fest that you hadn't met Chris yet until uh, that Linux Fest, right? And you guys have been had you been doing Linux Action News for quite a while? Yeah, we'd been doing it for nearly a year. It was like six months or something like that, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, and um, we'd kind of known each other a bit before then as well. Um, so yeah, it was weird to meet him. And it was the, the first transatlantic flight that I had done for uh, 20 years, maybe, maybe more than that, 25 since I was a little kid. Because um, wow. I've traveled around Europe and stuff, but it's been a long time, or it had been a long time since I'd done long haul. And I got off that plane and I was just like a zombie. And it was just really weird meeting everyone and uh, just sitting around in this um, uh, like wings bar or something or a sports bar, and it was uh, yeah, it's just quite surreal, really. Once I had a good night's sleep, I was fine after that, but um, yeah, that, that was weird. And then the second time I went for the sprint, um, I was much more used to the long flight, and I, it, it wasn't really anywhere near as bad, but that first one, that first night there, people, um, I remember meeting Elle and her saying to me, man, you look like a zombie, and I was like, yeah, I feel like one. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I'm I'm lucky enough that I don't have to travel quite as far. But uh um that leads me I guess to a curiosity. How how did you ever first get connected with JB uh and the network? That's a good question because the first podcast I ever listened to was the Linux Action Show. Not Linux podcast, but the first podcast. Oh wow. There was this thing called Groove Shark, I don't know if you remember it. It's like it was like free Spotify. I use Groove Shark, yeah. Yeah. Um and I had no idea why they got away with it and how they got away with it for so long and eventually they got shut down but um i was listening to a lot of audiobooks at the time and just getting into linux i suppose and just typed linux in randomly and then oh what's this linux action show and then <laughs> i um 
worked out how to do the RSS feed and everything. And I think it was just when they were doing the computer action show uh, for a bit, they kind of tried that for a season and that didn't really go that well, I don't think. And so they went back to the Linux action show and it was around then that I started listening. Yeah, then uh, listened to a few JB shows, then discovered Linux Outlaws and listened for a while. And then I kind of drifted away um, because there's so many Linux podcasts and... um, I didn't have as much time to listen to stuff. Um, and then uh, I was concentrating on doing my own stuff and then went on Linux Unplugged a little bit because I um, had, my wife was away and so I could stay up late because she normally goes to bed around the time that Lop used to record. Um, and so it was very difficult for me to go on there, but she was away and so I went on and talked to Chris and that was around the time he was thinking about killing Linux Action Show and that he was thinking about doing this new show. And uh, he actually asked someone else before me to do Linux Action News. I won't tell you who it is on air, um, but it is a person that I believe has been on Brunch with Brent, put it that way. Okay. But that person did not have time to do it. And Chris swears that he only asked that person to be polite, but I I know he would have preferred that person to me. But anyway, um, that person recommended me, knowing that I was looking to do more podcasts at the time. And then... Uh, Chris and I connected and spoke for uh, well a couple of times actually for quite a long time, like over an hour, kind of thrashing out what we were going to do and whether it was going to be video and um, and just eventually settled on not doing it live, it being audio only and uh, focus on editing it properly. All good decisions, right? Well, I mean, th- th- that's what I went into it wanting and that's what <laughs> happened. Um, but I, th- I think that's what he ultimately wanted he, he's spoken about how uh video it was kind of all geared up towards video at one point due to broadcasting but then he was kind of wanting to go more in the audio direction and focus on that because if you're focusing on video it's very difficult to serve both audiences because you inevitably end up talking about things that are on the screen or you have visual jokes and stuff like that and it, it means that the audio suffers as a result and the quality can suffer as well so it was the direction that he wanted to go. It was the direction that I had been going, and we kind of just aligned for for that. And um, then when um, the Linux Academy acquisition um, merger thing happened, Chris took me on, and uh, that's that was about eighteen months ago because I, I got hired. Actually, I was the first to be hired because. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's weird, like I'm really badly organized. If you looked at my desk now, you'd just <laughs> laugh at how terribly organized it is. But with some things, I'm really on it. And when it comes to that, it was like, right, let's make this happen. Let's have the contract. Let me read through it. Let's get it signed. And so I was the first of everyone to come on board. And at first, the first sort of week or two, I didn't have all that much to do because things were still ramping up and everything. Um, and so it was a bit weird, but it, it didn't take long before suddenly I was very busy once user error got going and, you know, especially then once Choose Linux got going. And so I've, I'm now very, very busy with it. I basically work seven days a week, but um, not a full day every day, if you know what I mean. Cause of it, course. Uh, it, well, does reading RSS feeds and news count as work? I guess it kind of does now. It's what I would probably be doing anyway, but um, I do a, at least a bit of that every day. It's almost like a lifestyle more so than, you know, a job or anything like that. It's, you know, you described earlier how you're kind of, you were kind of doing these things anyways. And so to have, you know, someone who's willing to bring you on and that's like 
getting paid for the things you're you're interested in previously and kind of diving into on your own time anyway. So it's kind of a sweet little spot to be in, I would say, in many ways. Yeah, yeah. So, Joe, if you wanted to ask something uh, of the community, um, maybe something you'd like them to do or think about, try, go and see, uh, is there something you would throw out there for them? Two things. Don't click on clickbait articles and videos <laughs> and listicles and stuff. Um, if it's if it looks like clickbait, we have to vote with our uh, our mice and our whatever it is that you click the clickbait with. The only way that it will ever go away is if people stop clicking on it. Now that is just a dream that will probably never ever come true. But um, just stop doing that, especially in Linux content and stuff. And somewhat related to that. I want people to think more critically. I want people to kind of look at what is being said or what's happening and really think about it. Don't just take what some person's opinion is. If it's my opinion, don't just accept it. Think about why I'm saying it and do some research. And you can't always do that, obviously, but um, the research stuff, but you can at least think critically about why I'm saying what I'm saying. Um, a prime example of this is the Microsoft situation. Microsoft, over the last, uh, well, I don't know, five, ten years, have become more and more involved with Linux and open source. And some people say M dollar sign and, you know, are really resistant to them and think that anyone who says anything positive about them must be a shill or whatever. And there must, must be some motivation behind it. Whereas, I find myself reporting the facts that Microsoft has been doing WSL and, um, you know, freeing up the XFAT patents and everything. And I ask myself, why are they doing that? Well, they're doing that to make more money because there is money to be made in Linux, especially with Azure. Driving people towards Azure is, is a real moneymaker for them. And they want developers and users to be using that. And it's just such an obvious thing to me. And And when you see people... It's a very small minority of people saying things like um, people are shilling and, and stuff uh, about that. Um, Hayden Barnes, who uh, works for Canonical now uh, on the WSL stuff, he posted recently about um, some of the, um, the the backlash and flack that he'd had from people calling him a shill and everything. And it just, that, that really made me think about it. Um, but also just when people are asking for money for something think critically about it and i'm not going to name any names but there are some obvious obvious examples of this that people are asking for money and not necessarily delivering on that and look at people's track records or companies track records on what they have delivered before making that decision to give them money or give them time and um, and talk about them you know, just think more critically, try not to be as forgiving, because that's something that people who are involved with Linux and open source tend to be, at least desktop Linux, is very forgiving of um, what otherwise they wouldn't forgive in other areas of life. So yeah, think critically, don't click clickbait links and videos, and consider people's motivations. Yeah, I feel like that is a skill set and you know part of what i really enjoy about for instance uh linux action news is 
is sort of your insights there and your critical thinking on some of the news. You know, it's easy to just throw out the news on a blog post or in a podcast or something, but um, some of the the background and the experience that you have uh, to give context around that news feels really valuable. And so I guess the question I would put to you is, how do you cultivate critical thinking? You know, it's a skill that you need to build up. I think to some extent you do, but you need to start from a place that not everything is awesome and great and positive. And some people say, oh, you're being a negative, toxic person by saying that. But if you just take a step back and judge everything on its own merits, rather than assuming that everything is positive, then you're generally going to have more of a critical view of that and a critical not in a negative way but a critical thinking way and judge things for what they really are rather than just everything's great and let's just assume that it's all going to work out yeah we've gotten in a lot of trouble in the world uh, you know thinking it's just going to work out without putting our minds to it in a deep kind of meaningful way so great advice thank you for sharing that uh Joe, thank you so much for, for joining me. Thank you for your time. I know it's a little late for you out there as we speak, uh, but I've really, really appreciated this and I'm really, uh, yeah, happy we can have a chat. So thank you. Yeah, we've been meaning to do it for a while and we finally did it. So yeah, it's been great. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. Thanks so much.